You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the show. Looking backward, here on today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns, we are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I am your host, Brendan Clean. I cover the NBA and the Phoenix Suns at Dime Magazine and SB Nation, and you can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. You can also, most importantly, follow our show on Twitter at Locked On PHX Suns where you can tell me what the Suns record is going to be on this upcoming road trip. We talked about it with Brandon on Monday. Go check that show out if you have not. But we have a little break in the action. One game down, four to go on the East Coast trip the Suns are currently on. So I decided to be nice. I I want to do more of these episodes as we get to the end of the season because we're going to just have playoff, playoff, playoff when the time comes. So this show... The idea was something I think a lot of us have been wondering, right? Is this sustainable? Is is this a new era? Is this something really tangibly different for the Suns? Because look, we've had a lot of seasons here where whether it was 2010, 2013, um, 2005, where it feels like a little bit pie in the sky. It, It comes and goes, right? And so I think it's worth talking about what has changed, what looks different, what feels different, what is different for these sons. And that's what I brought on my guest today to do. That is Dave King. He is the managing editor of Bright Side of the Sun. He is also the co-host of the Sun Solar Panel podcast. You can follow him at Dave King NBA on Twitter. So you know the drill. That's that's what we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to get to James Jones, Monty Williams, Robert Sarver, the roster, Chris Paul, all the reasons that you should be optimistic, and then we're going to get to a verdict. Are the Suns in a new era? So enjoy the conversation, guys. Tell me what you think at Suns on Twitter or in the comments on the podcast, and let me know. Are the Suns in a new era? Is this for real? And you can listen to Dave and I get into it right now. Dave King of Bright Side of the Sun and the Suns Solar Panel Podcast joins me now talking through this new sort of era in Suns basketball uh, Dave, I, I wanted to bring you on as somebody who's written about this team for as long as you have and have seen the waxing and waning of their success. Um, <laughs> I I, I want to just hear from you since you haven't been on, I don't think, during the season this year. I believe the last time you came on the show was preseason to just get a sense of how you're feeling this year about the team and, and how surprised you are, I guess, uh, that they've done so well. Oh, exactly. I mean, we all... We all predicted before this season started that, and thanks for having me on, Brendan, by the way. I listen to your show all the time. Um, when, when the season started, I mean, most of us, after they acquired Chris Paul, thought they'd be a top four seed. Uh, so we were pretty optimistic, but this team has exceeded even those optimistic expectations. Yeah, it has. I mean, I feel like, James Jones to me has earned the benefit of the doubt, even like something as simple as, as Tory Craig, right? The fact that that has turned out so well, um, the, the fact that in my opinion, he really nailed the end of the bench uh, for this team, each one more Langston Galloway, just some of those guys who have 
been able to sacrifice and, and be positive teammates during this stretch. Like he just seems to have a nuanced understanding of this stuff, which I don't think is, is necessarily considered enough. Like at the time, right. Like it felt inevitable sort of to a lot of people when James Jones took the job, the vice president job that he might be coming for Ryan McDonough's gig at some point, but like that was no sure thing. So I want to go back to that. Just what did you, what, what do you remember thinking when James Jones um, got, got that VP gig and then only a short time later became the interim GM? I think it was about 10, uh, 15 months or so after he was hired right. that he became the GM. What do you remember thinking of what he would be like? Yeah, that was really interesting because uh, when he got brought in as a VP, it was kind of out of the blue. He had just retired from the NBA after having uh, been on LeBron teams. I'm not going to say riding coattails, but uh, because he's clearly shown that he was a leader in that clubhouse and LeBron needed somebody like that in the locker room, uh, whether he was playing big role or not. Uh, so I don't want to say anything like derogatory that way, but James was a bit player for what, seven straight years on the Braun finals teams. So he knew what a finals looking team looked like. Uh, the questions we had is, can he apply that to anyone, but the teams he was on, can he apply that to other players around the organization around the, sorry, around the association around the NBA and say, that kind of guy fits on a winning team in a small role, that kind of guy will never fit, you know, in this, in that, in the kind of role we need. And he just went out there and we didn't know how he was going to be able to apply that to all the other players in the NBA. And he's just blown us away with his ability to do exactly what he said he was going to, to do. What do you think he's, better at than Ryan McDonough that that has allowed him <laughs> to turn this around because they're doing different jobs, right? That's, that's like one of Are the they? obvious things. I think so. <laughs> I mean, James is, it was cleaning up, right? He was cleaning up for the failed rebuild. He came in and as much as we, none of us really have much, was cleaning up from the Babby rebuild. Sure. But what, what I mean is as much as I'm not trying to give, Ryan McDonough too much credit like it's a it's a heck of a lot easier job to do to come in and be James Jones and and you have Devin Booker now you have to keep Devin Booker right you have to make him happy but you had the star that you tank for right you already had that guy so in that way if nothing else the job was easier but what do you think what do you think has allowed Jones to succeed in so many ways that McDonough wasn't able to uh you know, it was, it is a totally different mindset. And I think, uh, to your point, Brendan, that they were different points in time. If James Jones would have come in, in 2013, like Ryan McDonough did, uh, the Suns were a 25 win team. They had almost no NBA. Well, they had a poor NBA roster. We'll just say that. Um, if James Jones had come in at the time, his biggest star would have been Goran Dragic. Now in hindsight, the Goran Dragic did end up playing like an all-star, certainly in Ryan McDonough's first year. Um, and what, but what McDonough was tasked with is we've got a, and going all the way back to this time, I know this, I don't want to put people to sleep here, but back at that time, the Suns had been a late lottery team 
in pick 13th or 14th, like six out of seven straight years or something like that. It was, it was, it was crazy how uh, Kendall Marshall, Markeith Morris, guys like that, Earl Clark had been like, boom, 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 three years in a row. Oh God, these guys are not going to turn this franchise around. So Ryan McDonough came in to your point, Brendan, and was told to, or he convinced Robert Sarver to tear it all down, go totally low, low cost, but also, um, start over and and lose a lot of games to tank on purpose because Sam Hinkie was popular at that time, had popularized the tanking era, and Ryan McDonough tried to, you know, go along with that in his own way. He got lucky with Devin Booker. Um, in fact, that Devin Booker was his, his, probably his lowest initial draft pick in a draft of his entire uh, – T.J. Warren was also kind of low. He was 14. Mm-hmm. Um, but those two guys were his best picks uh, out of all the picks that he had. But his mandate that he actually sold to Robert Sarver was start over, lose a lot, get high picks. You win that way. You get your stars that way. He just didn't make the right picks. And then he didn't know how to build – He didn't. then when he got lucky – by trading for an Eric Bledsoe, who profiled like an all-star potential, Goran Dragic, who profiled but like uh, just below all-star level, he didn't know how to build a team around them that he tried to build around them for three straight years. Now, he didn't always try to tank. Remember, he tried to sign LeBron James one summer. He tried <laughs> to sign LaMarcus Aldridge yeah. and Tyson Chandler together one summer. He was trying to build a real team for a few years there, for a couple of years there, when he got lucky with the 13-14 team that won 48 games, he did try to build a team around them and failed miserably, where James Jones actually really succeeded. Now, excuse me, you could say that James had more to work with to start. Sure, absolutely. Um, His his young star-level players had a higher ceiling uh, than Goran Dragic and Eric Bledsoe. Uh, But at the time, we weren't sure of that. And Ryan McDonough did nothing to build a good team around those those guys to keep them competitive. Yeah. I've always said that 13-14 team was the it, – it, it, at the end of the day, I mean, we all have a lot of good memories from it. I think that it screwed them up. I think everybody in the building convinced themselves that this thing was going to get over faster than it was and, and all of that. But Robert Sarver's quote to me that sticks out all this time later – after he hired, uh, well, it was really more in relationship to firing McDonough. It doesn't really reference Jones at all, but in in hindsight tells us a lot about what Jones' uh, MO had to be when he came in. And I think part of why he's, he's passed with flying colors. So the quote was, um, looking back over the last five years, I felt we did a good job of going into a rebuilding process, the middle of a rebuilding process, Sarver said. I think Ryan did a good job in a number of areas, assembling draft picks and making trades and helping us get into that process but I just felt we could be a little farther along today in terms of coming out of that process. Like as silly as the timing was that to me from Sarver is, is pretty clear cut. Right. And I think we all would agree with it. So what James had to do when he stepped in was accelerate that, right. Put winning yeah. players around Devin Booker, put winning players around Deandre Ayton, and turn around the, the mentality and the culture and the the ethic of this franchise. And I mean, yeah, I can put it that way in a few short sentences, but that's a hell of a job, right? So uh, I think the the biggest inflection point to me, which we'll get to right after this break, is hiring Monty Williams. I think that's something, it's probably the single biggest decision that James Jones had to make and probably the best decision 
that he made. Obviously, the Chris Paul trade, that's less of a decision. You just got to get it done. But things that he had to kind of orchestrate, uh, Jones did, I think that that money hire was humongous. So we'll get into that right after a quick break. Our Ultra Player of the Week is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, reminding you that it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Pick up a Michelob Ultra the next time you sit down to watch a Suns game. 2.6 carbs, 95 calories, the perfect sipping drink for any game. And the Player of the Week this week is DeAndre Ayton. Of course, who else could it be? DeAndre Ayton has been dominating on both sides of the ball getting it done, playing confidently. Looks like he gets what the game plan is, gets what his path to domination is uh, more than he ever has, more than we've ever seen from him. He is riding high, double-doubles every single night, a huge part of winning basketball for the first time consistently in his career, and the Suns are on their way to the number one seed, courtesy of those big nights from DeAndre Ayton. Guys, Joey creates success in the NBA and in life. Enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game. DeAndre Ayton is showing that. He, whether it's fatherhood or just learning the NBA, he is playing with joy, playing with consistency, and playing with confidence for the first time in a long time. Remember, the question is that we always have to be asking ourselves, are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy? The Suns have been the example of what joy can do for a team all season long. DeAndre Ayton, just the latest example of it. Back here with Dave King, tracing the recent history of the Suns, talking, is this a new era for the Suns? And Dave, I feel like that that money hire, like we might one day talk about that as similar to the Barkley trade or the Nash trade, these franchise changing things. And maybe, maybe it'll get lost in the shuffle. Maybe we'll look at it in terms of the Chris Paul trade. But I don't think that that stuff happens without Monty Williams. And so, I mean, another thing that I think is so easy to forget because of how much good has come since, but that was no sure thing. He got criticized for firing Igor Kokoshkov because people said he waited too long, right? So uh, the, what do you, why do you think in, in, in all these years later, a couple years later that Monty chose the Suns and, and, and how do you kind of evaluate his performance? I mean, pretty clearly good, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. That's all still a mystery, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's just a mystery to this day, even people who followed him. I mean, we've talked to Marnie between you and I um, six months a year for the past two years. Right. And so many uh, media and, and he's been asked this question. Why did you choose the Suns? And he you know, he gave all the all the right answers. But none of us really knows exactly why Monty chose the Suns. He might have seen a, a higher ceiling, a little bit more freedom to be, you know, out. maybe he didn't want to be in Hollywood with the Lakers. He definitely, the timing was perfect for Monty to be a coach again. Um, he, he, he had his grieving time from losing his wife. He was ready to get back in. He'd been a, a year actually on the sidelines in Philadelphia. He wanted a job. There were two or three open at the time he was looking and uh, he chose the Suns over the Lakers. Not hundred percent sure, but you know, as a Homer, I certainly agree that he should have picked the Suns <laughs> over the Lakers. Um, and we're very lucky that he did so. Uh, and James Jones, I would assume, was the one who sold him on, hey, look, we're going to get this thing right. And I need you, Monty Williams, the same for the, in the same way that James Jones brought Langston Galloway in this year. I feel like that's probably the way he brought Monty Williams in a year and a half ago. 
which is we got to do this right. We got to build the right culture. I need you to help me build this culture. I need you to be a great representative and the two of us to make this happen and make this real. And we've got a young star in Devin Booker and, and um, there's someone to build around. And we've got the, you know, the draft picks with, with DeAndre Ayton and uh, DeAndre Ayton and, and Mikael Bridges had just finished their rookie year. So you, you had the core so there was a lot of things to sell Monty on at the time. And I think the timing of Monty wanting a job at that moment was perfect. And I think James Jones said all the right things to him yeah. and then proved it and lived up to it. Look, the thing with James Jones is he has always told us exactly what he was going to do. And then he's <laughs> always gone on and done it. Except that he pretends to not like trades, but he loves trades. Well, <laughs> he did say, you're right. I remember the first, and I, I, I do annual until this past year, annual bright side nights where I um, raise money to send kids to son's games. Um, and it's, it's really fun. And that always gets me an in to get a exclusive interview with Monty or excuse me, the, the GM at the time. So I did Ryan for a few years. Um, and then James Jones came in and, and sat in on, on those interviews. And I've done two with him now, one mm-hmm. and when he was just the interim and one when he uh, was the full GM and both times he said what he was going to do the first year, I'm not going to have an 18 year old point guard next year. I'll tell you that next yeah. thing we see Ricky Rubio, you know, and then, <laughs> and then um, the year after that, he said that he was going to bring in young prime vets and exactly, that's exactly what he did mm-hmm. in, 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 in that year. So James has always been right on what he said he was going to do. And then he did it, which is not as usual as common, as easy as it might sound. No, it's not. I mean, that's the thing is like, I think that was why it was taken with a grain of salt and why I was saying at the top of the show that it's uh, almost easy to forget that it was a, an untraditional hire. This guy had no experience, right? It's still kind of yeah. uh, breaks my brain that he, that he, that it's gone so well, but to, to go back to Monty for a second and that hire, because um, I, I think again, so much of this only comes together if you have a coach that earns the trust. And this will bring me to a few of the small ways that I think Robert Sarver has changed. And we'll talk about him too, but I did a little bit of digging last summer when the Suns were in the bubble reporting wise about why Monty chose the Suns. Cause I felt like it was a good time to revisit because people aren't going to talk when, when it first happens. But the fourth, the four factors that I was, that I was told um, were management fit players and family. So I think a, we'll talk about the players in the, in the last segment, I think it, it really is genuinely true. You talk about talking, uh, saying exactly what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. From the beginning, Monty has said that he wanted to coach Devin Booker, and I don't think he was BSing us. I think that genuinely drove him here in a big way. We, we, we talked about it with like, oh, KD loves Devin Booker, or all these superstar players have respect for Booker. I don't feel like we realized that Monty was a, an example of that too. And then obviously family, like this is a great place to, to raise a family. We know Monty's huge on that. I, I don't think that's the number one reason, but I don't think it can be overlooked. And then, you know, management and, and fit in an organization. I, I think that goes back to James Jones, right? The, he knew he could feel comfortable, whether it was through their previous relationship in Portland or um, just whatever the vibe was that he felt when he came in and interviewed. I think Monty knew that this is a place he could succeed. And, you know, the Lakers were really chaotic at that time, right? It wasn't the championship Lakers. It was, can we get Anthony Davis? It was, um, 
you know, what's going on with the ownership group? Why won't magic stop giving interviews? You know, it's all that. So that's what he was, he was going to be walking into. And I actually think that that's, it's crazy to think, but the Suns were more stable at that time in their own way. They, they presented a clearer path, build a team that's already young to a winner. That's a hard job, but it's pretty clear what the gig was going to be. Right. And so I think Monty saw that and, and that really appealed to him. And then, you know, obviously he's done an amazing job doing it. Oh, he's done an amazing job. So yeah. So if we get past the, how did James Jones turn out to be so good? We have no clue. Uh, but <laughs> the true. fact that he, that he knows what to say to get the right people in, they're going to win games. He's proven it obviously this year with the Suns being 41 and 15. It's just crazy for us. But, and, and you talked about the deep bench being really good. I mean, the fact that he was able, uh, James Jones was able to, um, in a positive, in a positive way where these guys are not even complaining six months later that they don't have jobs in the start in the, in the regular rotation, but bringing in each one more and Langston Galloway toward the end of free agency on, on minimum deals saying, Hey, look, we're probably going to need you throughout the year. You're going to have to win some games for us, but I don't have a guaranteed spot unless we have some injuries or something like that. And they still signed and they're still happy with the Suns, and they're still glad they signed with the Suns. It's not crazy to say this team has the best chemistry in the NBA. I mean, you just don't hear a peep. Like, there's no problems, you know? Like, it's it's up there. They're at least among the best in the league in terms of chemistry, and they built that in in a couple of seasons. It's, it's, It's really crazy. Because he brought in the guys who believe in chemistry. Like, uh, he knew he had to build a team around. If you're going to – look – James could, did, couldn't afford to do what Ryan McDonough tried, which is start over brand new stars. Let everyone leave, a draft, and then fill out, right? You're, you're exactly right that James Jones had to come in at a halfway point and, and accelerate the rebuild, but around the core, the core being DeAndre Ayton, Mikel Bridges, Devin Booker. How can you best build a team around them? Well, you build, you know, guys who can play some defense. You can build guys who can play roles. You know, these three are going to be your best players at some point in the near future. How do you build around it? And James did like the exact perfect thing you could do two years in a row, right? Because he did building blocks the first year with Ricky and 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 Ricky Rubio as the point guard, and then bringing in Dario as your power forward starter, and all these other and all these other little moves. Uh, Cam Johnson in the draft. They're all supporting players and they were young prime vets is exactly how he described them. And that's exactly what they were. And then in year two, he upped it. Obviously uh, Chris Paul fell in his lap. Chris Paul also chose to play with Devin Booker and has said consistently that that's why he wanted to come here, but also because he wanted to play for Monty Williams again. And also because he believes in James Jones, James Jones has so much credibility around the league, Monty Williams, so much credibility around the league. And now this roster is the roster that they got to build together. And you're right. They've got the best chemistry in the league because they're the chemistry guys. Yeah. You, you have to kind of believe in, in it, right? It's like, it is a little bit wonky or, or spiritual in its own way. You have to believe that that's something that you can achieve to, to actually go about building it. So that's a good point by you. That brings us to, I think, ownership and the players. So we'll get into that in the next segment. Cause I think, you know, the big question, if we're talking about if this is a new era for the Suns, is 
we we talked about what's worked and and what's changed and why there's reasons for optimism. But I mean, the big the big thing is is Robert Sarver different, right? And and are these players good enough to maintain success down the line, even when their uh, middle aged point guard, so to speak, in NBA years, is not around anymore, right? What what happens? So we'll talk about that in just a quick second. Today's episode of Locked on Phoenix Suns is also brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the planet. My favorite protein bar out there. Uh, good news. Great news for everybody. If you've been not sure, maybe you tried Built Bar in the past. Coconut brownie chunk, the flavor I've been telling you about for weeks, if not months, is finally ready for purchase. Go to BuiltBar.com, get your pack of coconut brownie chunk. I'm not lying when I say that they will be sold out quick. They're covered just like every Built Bar in 100% chocolate that makes them soft and easy to chew, perfect for any diet, or if you just like to know what you put in your body, you like to uh, keep calories low, keep sugar low, Built Bar is perfect for it, and the coconut brownie chunk is perhaps their most delicious flavor. Go to BuiltBar.com, guys. Use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. Again, use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Today's show brought to you as well by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Today's BetOnline bet of the day comes at you with a local twist. Arizona Cardinals 2021 Total wins over under. It's, it's dicey, guys. It's actually a really good line. It's over. It's it's eight and a half. And I think that's right where it should be. But I'm hitting the over. DeAndre Hopkins, uh, James Conner. Defense looks a little more uh, deep and, and ready to win. I really like this team, guys. They were pretty close to hitting that last year. And you get plus 100 odds on the over. I like it. I like it. Hit it. Feel good because it might get a little better. If they if they can add stuff in the draft, if, if Kyler starts getting some hype preseason, it's not going to stay there for long. We might see that number creep up and you'll regret missing out. Bet Online has you covered for all of this type of stuff. News scores and odds, real-time updated props, everything that you can imagine. It's the best way to place a bet, and best of all, it is free to sign up. So head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device. Make an account today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code Locked On. Again, head to betonline.ag or download their mobile app. Make an account, use the promo code Locked On when you make your first deposit, and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, we're talking about Robert Sarver and this Suns roster now. We hit James Jones, we hit Monty Williams. Why that has worked so well? Why there's promise for the future there? I think those are the two biggest reasons, Dave. But when we talk about uh, the players and the ownership, I think they kind of go hand in hand because to me, you know, another big scare looming over the Suns, if we, if we, if we rewind to that October 2018 time was every other month, there's a new, you know, Devin Booker in the news, he should leave Stephen A. Smith, whoever it is doing a, a rant that that Booker needs to get his way out of here. And that's gone away, right? Um, but the reason it, it, it kind of feels connected for Kyle to Kuzma and a pick for Kyle Kuzma and a pick. Yeah. Or uh, going to Minnesota of all places, which is a terribly run franchise that and turned a bad, out bad exactly team. as I expected it to turn out by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're bad. What, what a surprise. They've been bad for 20 years, but yeah, 
but it's connected to, to Sarver to me because you know that that relationship and that 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 respect that mutual respect is is probably the the fulcrum of most NBA teams these days. Do you have stable ownership that has earned the trust of your star player and and that kind of you know pushes you along? So I think we're at a good place there. What do you make of of Sarver? Because to, to 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 me, it's like not hearing anything in it with an owner is the thing you shoot for. And well, we haven't heard anything from Sarver lately. Oh man, he is a special case, isn't he? Um, I I still don't know quite what to make of Robert Sarver because he's not the most affable guy, right? We've seen him, you and I have seen him around the arena for years, and mm-hmm. he rarely speaks to schlubs like us. Uh, he just doesn't want it unless he's crowing about something or correcting you on something that you did wrong, which he's done, uh, or at least he doesn't like the way it's characterized. Um, and I've talked to him a few times related to that kind of thing. And there's one time he came into crow to the whole media room, but that's about it. That's about the only conversations I've had with him. So I'm as confused about Robert Sarver, the person as most people are that don't know him. Um, but what I find interesting is, is some of the nicest, um, guys in the NBA have, has ever seen have decided a, that they like him as a person, but B, they don't want to work for him. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's interesting, I mm-hmm. guess it's because he's such a miser. He's always worried about the bottom line that kind of does take over, but I mean, he's partners with Steve Nash in a football club overseas, you know, and he's, and Jared Dudley was always talking about how great he is as an owner and, and lots of players, lots of Channing Fry, I think. Yeah. A lot of players like him. That's, that's always been like interesting him, to me, but they don't necessarily want to play for him until recently. Now that James Jones has come in because they feel like James Jones is the perfect buffer for Robert. Now, the nice thing about Robert is that when the Suns are doing well, he does get out of the way while it's happening. The thing you got to worry about is the off season when he's worried about the bottom line, like, or maybe he's learned his lesson on the, you know, trading Kurt Thomas for two first round picks. I mean, Steve Kerr was told you better do get rid of Kurt Thomas off this roster because we don't need him next year. And that's sal- at that salary. And, and Kerr did by giving away a couple of first round picks to do it. Did Kerr need to Did Robert Sarver tell him to also trade two draft picks with Kurt Thomas? Probably not. But did Robert Sarver tell him that was ridiculous to do so? No. Um, you know, the trading of, but, but Sarver just wants to win games. He just wants to win games. Like this is his, I'm sorry, I'm kind of jumping around here. This year is, is Robert Sarver's fantasy year because it just came out. Someone posted a graphic on social media that he's, that the Suns are getting their most bang for their buck. <laughs> yeah. Like, this year, what is it like three million bucks a win or something like that? Yeah, three million bucks a win. That is the perfect start. And you know, so he's going to try to repeat this, of course, every year. I can get the most wins per buck of any owner in the league, and I'm that means that's a win for him. That's a perfect thing for him. So, uh, what he's going to do this summer, I don't know, but certainly, uh, what James Jones has figured out is how can I build a winning team under Sarver's um, uh, rules, which is don't go into, you don't have to go 30 million bucks into the luxury tax to have a team that might win 40 games. Guess what? You know what? All of us would say that, but if you Mm -hmm. can win 60 games, maybe he's learned the lesson that sometimes you do have to spend all that money to keep your guys to win 60 games. We don't know yet if Robert Sarver has grown up or not as an owner, but we will find out in the next year or two. 
Well, there's already some clues. So I, let me let me lay out the two sides. So I think on the positive evidence that he's empowering the new brain trust, which, as you said, hasn't always been the lacking part. It's what happens when something goes wrong or yeah. what happens when uh, the, you know, a, a disagreement appears. And, and I think the management aspect is where he goes wrong, not the spending or empowering. Right. So we've seen that stuff going well so far. The Suns have a, a full and a pretty good star studded type of coaching staff, right? Monty pretty clearly has been empowered to hire whoever he wants um, to fill out his staff. Last summer, he had a bunch of guys. This summer, he went. He was allowed to go back out, even with the, the pandemic and the recession and everything, to go do that. James Jones, um, I think, has, in his own way, he's been able to spend over the cap. He's been able to use the, the different salary cap mechanisms, the exceptions and all these things we saw that Ryan McDonough consistently did not use. You know, Tyshawn Alexander's been on a two-way all year. Um so those things are, are things that McDonough didn't do, wasn't seemingly allowed to do that have been good. Obviously, these both of these guys now have been in, in power for or had their jobs for two years. That, that hasn't even been the norm for the most part, right? But then on the negative, we obviously saw tons of layoffs last year. We saw um, the selling of the G League team, right? We've we've seen that's the thing. We've seen is some he, some spend yeah. some cutting some trimming the fat that didn't need to happen. But it's right? the, it's, it's the trimming of the five dollar things instead of the million dollar things. It's like he spent the money to put the team together that James wanted without any proof that it was even going to be a winning team, mm-hmm. right? But then at the same time, they're cutting the lowest paid people's salaries yeah. in the organization because mm-hmm. he's still a bottom line guy. And his bottom line is, is he had someone telling him, you know, we got a little bit of fat in this organization. We don't have to have among the people who make two fig, you know, double digit thousand salaries, mm-hmm. right? Not the, not the six figure, eight figures, not the executives, figure. but the, you know, the assistant to the, the whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's Sarver in a nutshell. Now, does that mean he's learned his lesson on the team? We'll find out. I hope hope he has. Well, here, then that's a perfect transition to the players. And uh, we we don't have too much longer, but I think that transitions to, you know, what comes of this team because it's going to only get more expensive. That's what good teams do, right? It's, it's going to be, um, there are going to be moments of crossroads, right? What do we do with this player? Um, you know, they're inevitably, and you don't win a championship every year, even if you're a great team, there are going to be years where seven, you know, game seven of, of the second round, something bounce doesn't go the sun's way. And there's a lot of downtrodden folks in that building, right? So that stuff is coming. That's what happens with success. And we haven't seen the ability to sustain that under Robert Sarver. But on the other hand, these players are not going to get worse, right? Like this is a young core, something that that was absent for a lot of those early right. Suns winners was three bonafide star young players who you can build around for the future. So how are you thinking about that part of it? Because that's one, it's one, you know, tool that Sarver never had was actual youth that's good and winning right now. No, that's absolutely true. Because um, since you know, since he made whatever mistakes he made with the seven seconds or less teams, um, he really hasn't had stars like this. He hasn't had the core like this to work with. And so maybe he has, maybe he's going to look at this himself and go, Hey, you know what? I can't, I can't screw this up. 
Um, we we got to keep these guys together. And then, but what's going to happen is if the secondary players, if the, if the, if the behind Booker, Aiden and Bridges need big raises, James Jones is probably going to be empowered asked to go out and find other guys who are just as cheap as the last year's guys, right? Instead yeah. of giving big raises to, so a Cam Johnson might be less likely to get an extension, a big extension than a DeAndre Ayton. Now, big being over the mid-level, right? I mean, you probably don't want to give your fifth best player $18 million a year, but you might want to give him nine or 10 and that's fine. So let's not, don't people, people don't read into this that they're not going to bring, keep Cam Johnson. They, if he's worth $20 million a year and they've still kept Mikel Bridges and DeAndre Aiden and Devin Booker, may, probably not. But then you got to trust James Jones to find another Cam Johnson somewhere. Exactly. Which, right? And so I think he's gotten lucky with James. What he's got to do is not give James a reason to want to leave or well, there, a reason to want to leave. And I think everything will be okay. There's a reason too, right? Like to go back to the McDonough thing and what, what didn't work that James has been able to do is there's a reason that that GMs tend to operate the way that McDonough did, right? You get more leeway when you are not trying to win. Cause what are you being measured by? You're being measured by how bad did we get? How, you know, what can we do in three years with Dragon Bender? You know, those are metrics that are really flimsy. And so what James has also done by being so good at his job so quickly is he's brought a lot more scrutiny to what he does from here on out, because that's the hardest thing to me in the NBA in terms of GMing is staying great, right? Is like you said, okay, Cam Johnson, maybe, you know, by the time he ages out of this contract, the Suns already have Booker, Bridges, and Aiton locked up long-term. Maybe that's just a, a luxury the Suns can't afford. Well, well, that's a huge piece of your team. You know, that's a player you need to replace. So threading that needle is no easy task, but that's uh, that's the job ahead. And I feel like that's probably what will determine if this is a new era is, is can they keep it up? But I feel like we're both pretty optimistic that the things are, the stars are kind of aligning for this to continue for at least a few more years. Well, here's what I know. Exactly. I agree with you. Cause here's what I know. What I know is that Booker Aiden and bridges are only going to continue to get better. What I know is that James Jones has two years in a row turned over most of the roster and gotten good players each time. So he knows that it's not like he got lucky with one set of players like Ryan McDonough did. He's done it twice and gotten better each time. So that's, this is a good sign. We know that Monty Williams is better in year two. So why wouldn't he be better in year three and four and five of his contract? Right. And so the, the only things that are un, we're uncertain about are is there's going to be some kind of money thing that politely makes James Jones nicely go, gosh, I want to spend more time with my family like Steve Kerr did. Is there something that's going to run, you know, money out the door for the same reason? Although I think it'd probably be James first um, because I, we don't know, even know the length of James's contract for, for when he's going that's up true. for renewal, that's true. Um, you know, an extension and, he, and, and a smart person would want to raise after what he's done for this team. They should both. Robert if this, if this thing him. goes as well as we think it, it will, this, this playoffs, uh, I think they both should be on the phone with, with Mr. Sarver asking for extensions. Well, Monty's only in year two of five and he Still, got the big money. Let's get another year in there. I'd be asking, sure. wouldn't you? But I, but that would be a lot more. I, I, if, uh, I would probably not want to extend him if I was Sarver right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, to, to be a nice gesture, maybe, but yeah. really James Jones, how many years does he have left? Do we have any idea? No. That's the thing. And if okay. James Jones politely leaves like Kerr did, it could all fall down. 
Mm. Well, let's not end on too negative of a note because I do think, (laughs) I do think like, look, we'll, we'll have to see. I think this summer will be interesting with Chris Paul's option. You know, what, what comes there? Cause you know, you could be even more optimistic coming out of the summer if the Suns do make a deep run and, and Paul decides to opt out and extend and, and things continue to trend in the right direction. Uh, there's a lot of reason for optimism. So I think, you know, you seem to think too, that this, this at least is, is a structure that'll work for a couple more seasons and and that things are trending to be in the yeah. right direction. It's sustainable, I mean, worried, right? Exactly. If you're worried about Chris Paul fading, you know what? In two off seasons, James Jones has gone from Isaiah Kanan to Ricky Rubio to Chris Paul. He can figure out another point guard, right? Mm-hmm. He already found campaign off the scrap heap, um, yeah. and camp in turn, and they that that group turned campaign into a really good backup point guard. Can he be a starter? Probably not, but could he fill in 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 case of need? Yeah. Um, so, but I don't put it past James Jones finding another really great point guard to pair with these guys. Um, so I'm not worried about the roster mm-hmm. being kept together as long as the core is there. And as long as James and Monty are there. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, James too, in his public comments does not seem to be sweating it too much. I think he realizes, Hey, I got a hall of fame point guard right now. It doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon. So I'm not going to sweat that at all. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's keep the good times rolling guys. Enjoy. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. This will be going up Wednesday. So we have the Sixers tonight. I will be with you as soon as the buzzer hits to break down whatever happens. Hope you're still uh, flying high off of the Bucks win. That was one of my favorite games of the year. And thanks for joining us, Dave. Hey, thank you for having me on, Brendan.